Well, it is good to be here this morning. Uh, the first year, I was still new enough here. I had some things going on at Bible school. I didn't know if I wanted to uh, come, take the time to do that. Last year, I got sick, so I'm glad I'm not sick this year. And uh, it's good to be here. To give me a, a little bit of history about me, I was born in northern Minnesota, and my pastor was Arnie Scripset. Uh, Dawn remembers when I was born. I think she probably remembers my birthday, too, if I recall correctly. And uh, so I had a, a connection with, with that family. And then in 82, our family moved to the apartments in Lansing, and we were going to be there for a couple months, as I recall. It wasn't to be a long stint. And we didn't leave for about 15 or 16 months. And I just, my dad just told me this the other day, and I was not aware of it, and I was sharing it with my family this morning on the way up here. I said, now, we used to live kind of over there in that old farmhouse over there. I said, and, and I just recently heard my dad said he was about ready to put his membership here and join here, which wasn't why we came here. We were just kind of a stopping place, he thought. And uh, about the time he decided he thought maybe this would be the place for us, the Lord called us somewhere else. So my wife says, well, I wouldn't have met her then if I, wouldn't have, if I would have stayed here instead of going somewhere else. But anyhow, uh, we're glad to be here this morning. Oftentimes when I travel, I, I have a sermon that I share called... Rejoice in the Lord. And it's there's a song, God never moves without purpose or plan. Or rejoice in the Lord, he makes no mistake. And that song has become kind of a theme song for our family with our daughter with her special needs. And I have a passion for children with special needs and families with special needs children. So I often share that message. I think it's, I think it's something that uh, needs to be preached and encouraged. Uh, the Lord didn't direct me that way this morning. I, I was kind of going that way. and like, nah, no, I'm not going that way. I was at Bible school this week, and we're going through uh, separation, nonconformity. And that sounds like a negative subject, all the things we can or can't do, we have to or have, cannot do. It's, the, it's legislated morality, it seems like. But before I do that, I talk about what it means to be a Christian and how the, the uh, means to have the two kingdoms, and we're choosing between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, and I use a diagram with Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And we have the way, which is the things that we need to do. It's legislated, you know, we do this, we don't do that, and so on. That's the way. And then we have the truth, which is, is the reason we do the way. And then we have the life down here, which is the excitement and the, the vitality of, of doing these things. So I preached that, or I, yeah, I almost preached that in my class. It's... Those first couple days where I get a little preachy, I'm trying to lay my foundation before we get to the practical things, and I did that this week, that, well, I'm, I think I'm going to do that this morning. And no, no, I'm not doing that either. I just want to share some things, some thoughts that have been going through my head over the Christmas season. And uh, my title this morning is, The Blessings of Christ in the Family. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about his birth. But... In our culture, it's also become a family time. Family comes home at Christmas. You know, you hear someone in town say, "Well, are your children coming home this year, or, or what's your, you know, the grandkids going to be around?" It becomes about time to family comes home. We eat together. We share gifts together. But for many people, Christmas is not a good time. Perhaps there's too many memories of, well, maybe good times that were in the past, but no longer are family who has passed away or something. Some people it becomes a time of parties and the depression that goes along afterwards or pressures to perform and buy lots of Christmas presents. 
But if you have any family challenges and any relationship challenges in your family, you think of those at Christmas time because this is when it's supposed to be about family and that is not happening. I began a, a series on the home in October and my beginning question was, how would you define the ideal family? And I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, I don't have the exact answer for that. My conclusion was happy the home when God is there. And the song goes along with that. But I can say this morning, I'm not sure what the ideal family is, but I know that there are no perfect families. None of us are perfect. Every person has challenges. But we all have people in our families, whether it's in our immediate families, among our children or our siblings, or in our extended families, we have people who are not following the Lord that brings challenges and, and perhaps grief to us. Christmas time, one of my brothers said, so what does the Bible mean when it says that a pastor is supposed to have his children in order? And that if he does not have his children in order, how can he order the house of the Lord? So what is that supposed to mean? Well, I don't know if you've ever discussed that, but that makes for some interesting discussion. And uh, I have a, an acquaintance I know that he told his family that if any of them would leave the Lord, that he would resign his ministry. And he is no... Small minister, if you can say that. I mean, he's a very influential, very well-used man, and he said he would resign if any of his children walked away from the Lord. So is that what that verse means? I was discussing this at Bible school, and one of the teachers said he knew someone who, who tendered his resignation because of his family. He says, I'm willing to resign, and because my family is no longer serving the Lord. Is that what that means? Well, in our discussion there that day, we mentioned several men of integrity, godly men. Godly men who we pattern our lives after, whose children do not serve the Lord. Someone mentioned Abraham was chosen because God knew that he would order his children after him. He would order them well. But what can you tell me about Abraham? How many of you would like to have been Sarah? Go down to Egypt and your, and your husband kind of turns his back on you. Or your husband has a child with your servant and then you're, you know, you squabble with your servant. And I don't think Sarah had a pretty lifestyle at all. And that, that those problems continued on. And in fact, uh, they, those problems still continue to this day between that family. Turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25 and verse... 19. <clears throat> this here is continuing on after Abraham. This is now into Isaac's family. Genesis 25:19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paden Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all over like an hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, 
a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Edom means red, by the way. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit doth this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And we know the story there of how he sold his birthright, and then we later know the story of how Esau goes on and... and uh, is trick Jacob tricks Esau to get his blessing, and uh, these two didn't get along very well at all. However, it wasn't just a problem of getting along. Go to chapter 28 and verse 6, and Esau had a few of his own problems. Esau 28 and verse 6 says this, And when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paden Aram to take him a wife from thence, and that he... And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and was gone to Paden Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, so he saw what he was, his father wanted him to do, he saw that he, what he didn't want him to do. Then went Esau unto Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had of Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. So he saw what he was, his dad wanted him to do. He saw what he didn't want him to do, and he went and did exactly what he was not supposed to do. He chose to be rebellious. And we have, we know what it is to have family conflicts. We know what it is to have rebellious children or siblings, and maybe that's the, a strong word. But yet they're still family. They are still our flesh and blood. They are still the people we grew up with. They are still the ones that we love and care for. And this, this tie of family binds you to people that you don't agree with, and you can't really support, but yet you still love and care for them because they're your flesh and blood. And I was at a, with my wife's family here a year or so ago, and... and uh, in the time since we married, there's a widening gap between some of us. And I, I shared this with my father-in-law. I said, you know, I, we struggle a bit as a couple and relating as a family. And, he's, and I said, but they're still family. And he says, yes, with tears in his eyes. Yes, but they are still family, even though we do not always agree. And even with Jacob and Esau, and then they're falling out, they still needed to kind of coexist. They were still brothers. They still needed to do things together. And so Jacob's coming back home, and he sends messages to Esau. This is many years later now. He's coming back, and he sends messages to Esau and says, I'm coming. Now, I, I don't really think Esau, or Jacob was reaching out to Esau and, you know, hey, dear brother, I'm coming back home. I don't really think that was the context. I think it was more like, uh, I'm coming home. Please be nice to me. You know, please forget what I did to you a long time ago. I think that was more the context. And I'm not sure what Esau's response was. Uh, he brings 400 men. Um, what does that tell me? I'm not sure. But it, it was somewhat conciliatory, and they kind of worked things out. 
But yet they still kind of went, Jacob went here and Esau went there. And they, they still were not really in agreement. Go to chapter 35 and verse 27. And this is now at the end of Isaac's life. And Jacob came to Isaac his father and to Mamre and to the city of Arba, which is in Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were an hundred and fourscore years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his family. And being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. And so in the midst of their still disagreements and so on, they must come together. And uh, much as Isaac and Ishmael did, it mentions that Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury Isaac, or to bury Abraham, so Jacob and Esau came together. And so we work together, even in the midst of disagreements. And the patriarchs, God's chosen people, you know, these are the, these are the founding fathers that God chose to begin the children of Israel, the, where Jesus would come from, our Messiah, these founding people, but yet they had struggles, and they had, they had problems. So I say that to say this, that even families who are serving the Lord, we have challenges and we have struggles at times. And all families have this potential. Sometimes it may be the parents' fault, but sometimes it is not the parents' fault. And someone challenged me in this discussion we had in our, at our uh, Christmas get-together there in the afternoon, and, and someone said... Uh, you know, but if you have a minister whose children have gone astray, do you really want to sit and listen to that minister? And the illustration that I forgot to bring out was that Jesus taught Judas for three years, and in the end he walked away, and we don't discredit Jesus' teaching. So is it? we can't just blame the parents. There's a, a role for the children as well. So while we have failures, ours or perhaps our children, or our siblings, or whatever the case may be, we do not have to have failures. If we would all follow Jesus Christ as he intended for it, we would have victory, and there would be no failures. Do you believe that? The problem is we are perfect. And so even though I love my wife dearly, I may, do, I may slip up and say something that isn't kind. You know, something comes along and I'm just, you know, I'm not having a real good day. Uh, we go out for a date and she says, hey, I need to stop at the grocery store and pick up groceries. <laughs> and I might say something like, you know how much I hate to pick go grocery shopping and we have to do it on a date. Okay, just to spur of a moment, I might say something and then my wife can be offended or she can say something, I can be offended. We're not perfect and we will make mistakes. But if we follow Jesus perfectly, we would have perfect relationships. And there would be none that fails if we follow Jesus perfectly. <clears throat> this life of failures and disappointments could be changed, will be changed when Jesus comes by. On Christmas Eve, I was sitting in my office doing some book work, and after supper, my wife was doing the dishes, and after the dishes, we get to open the presents. And of course, this is you know the big deal. It's not as big as when our children all were small, but there's enough small ones around yet that this is still pretty important. So I'm in my office and I'm doing some work and I'm waiting for my wife to get done with dishes so we can open presents. And the phone rings. And I pick it up, the, the phone, and this is Johnny Miller with a Christian Aid phone alert. How many of you get Christian Aid phone alerts from their billboard ministry? And uh, I've been blessed by getting those. And uh, 
I don't remember if names have been changed on this one or not, but Valerie is a single mom, and she had had some contact with them before, and it's Christmas time, and she has these two little children, and she just wants them to go away, and Christmas is not happy, and she's drinking away the holidays, and she's holed up in her apartment, and would you pray for Valerie and others like her this Christmas season? On Christmas Eve, you get this call. And so I'm thinking, wow, I have neighbors like that. You know, our one neighbor man, his wife died of cancer here a couple years ago. Oh, she doesn't want any company. Whenever she gets company, she cries. So, no, she doesn't want company. And he kind of kept everyone at arm's length. And his wife, who loved her neighbors, and we all liked her, and we wanted to reach out to her, and no one, no one got to see her. Her own pastor kind of was just going to make a scene. If, she would, if he wouldn't let her in, he was going to go... Just, you have to let me in. She goes to my church. It's a, he was a Lutheran. I'm, she was not saved. But her husband now sits there and he's all alone and he's kind of a grumpy old man. And he said, my mom was telling him that, you know, she carries her phone with her because if she would fall in the driveway or in the ice or something, she would, so she could call and get help. He says, well, it really wouldn't do me any good because I have no one to call. That's the kind of life he is. I stopped in just before Christmas. We went to go Christmas killing now. Let me back up to there. He came out to the door, and he, my dad comes up. He says, Tim, he says, would you please just leave? I really don't want to be serenaded to this year. He says, uh, just, would you just please leave? That's fine. So I came back two days later, and I walked up to the door, and he says, so what do you want? Well, I says, I just came over, and I determined I was not going to use the word Christmas or anything like that. I said, I just, George, I just came over just to let you know that you have friends and that we care about you and you know when your wife's gone I didn't say we came because it's Christmas season or we wish we were married I didn't say Christmas at all I was pretty proud of myself a whole half hour didn't say anything about Christmas at all I just came to be his friend so I was thinking about George I was thinking about Valerie I was thinking about our neighbor man down our neighbors down the street that she'd just fallen and broken her hip a couple days before and he's 90 and she's in her 80s and I'm thinking about this and in the midst of this thought process, one of my girls comes running in, Daddy, it's time to open presents. Come on, Daddy, let's, let's go open presents. Oh, okay, so we go downstairs and we're sitting there in the living room and I start looking at my family. My wife that I love very dearly and I told some at Bible school the other day, if everyone was happy as my wife and I, this world would be a wonderful place. Because they're like, are you trying to get brownie points with your wife or what? But I said, no, I just, I, we just really enjoy each other. We, it's, it's better now than it's ever been. And so I got my wonderful wife there, and we get along fine. And I have, I have my, my son who's at Bible school right now, and, and our, we have five children all together. And just, oh, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed by my wonderful family. And I said, before we begin, let's pray for Valerie. And those like her. And so we did. And I opened my presents. I had two presents this year. I had a box of chocolate-covered cherries for my daughter, which is just tradition. She wouldn't even have to wrap them anymore because that's just, you know what, here you go, Dad, you know what, you know, you know what it is. And my wife gave me four little jars of mocha. And that was my Christmas present this year. That's all I got. But you know what? That was all I... I didn't need all that. I was just blessed to be there with my family. My family that is loving the Lord, and I was just blessed. 
and I was working for a customer a couple days before, and he had told me, he says, you know, he says, if you have a, if you have a family to eat Christmas dinner with, he says, you are a very blessed man. He said, there's a lot of people at work who won't even talk to their family, let alone eat with their family. And if you have family to eat Christmas dinner with or Thanksgiving dinner with, you're very blessed. So I'm, I'm just blessed. I mean, I'm just, I'm just enjoying my family. And Christmas morning, we got us boys bundled up and we went down to my dad's and my brother was there. And my other brother came over, and we had three chainsaws and three four-wheelers and sleds and trailers, and we were cutting firewood for, for Papa, and we were, we, just had, we were just having a great time. And people started coming for lunch, and we have extended family comes. We have one of our customers. We kind of adopted him. He's a, a bachelor, and, and we built a house for him, spent a lot of time with him in his house there. And so he just, we tell him, you're just adopted. You're just part of our family. You come. And uh, we're all there together, and I'm, I'm still being blessed by my family and blessed by this Christmas season. And I'm like, you know, Roger was saying the other day that, that if a family can eat together, you're just really blessed. And there are some people that don't even talk. Oh, yeah. There's someone there who will not talk to his children. Hmm. Oh, yeah, and then there's this guy here. Yeah, he doesn't talk to his siblings very much. They don't get along. And when Mom died, they, they didn't even come up. They didn't even have a funeral. And, uh, oh, yeah, and then there's my, my sister-in-law, and her, her brother left his family and his, his wife and his four daughters, and, they're, so they're, and he went and married someone else. And So I don't even know if she, she really talks to him. I mean, she had to call him and tell him that she forgave him, but... Is there even a working relationship there anymore? And all of a sudden I realized that this sad home situation, all, I, all these blessings I had, and I thought it was a safe place to be excited about my family. And even there, it was, there was people there who were hurting. So as I reflect on the blessings of a godly home and a Christian home, I'm very grateful, but I'm also very humble. Because it's only by the grace of God that we have the blessings that we have. It's not about us. It's only by the grace of God that we have these things. It's made a difference in your home because of Jesus Christ, and he has made a difference in my home. My sister-in-law said, I forget how it wasn't relating about her brother, but you know, she says, we... We had my dad. Her dad's a preacher. He's a minister. Um, he's involved in ministry, and, and they had this wonderful family. And she said, "We just thought we had it all together." And then my brother went off and did what he did. And it was, she said, "We're ashamed." And if it isn't for Jesus Christ, we all could be in those in those shoes. We do foster care, and uh, we haven't had any children for a little while here, but uh, we need to keep up our training every year we need to get in 12 hours of training and so in December we were at a, one of these training sessions and uh, it's not um, it's not a godly I should, maybe not that word but these are these are not godly people who are doing the training put it that way they're a little bit over the top you know whatever anyhow but we we have a good time and and uh, we've become friends with other foster parents and so on and uh, this last time, Krista was finishing up her driver's ed, and so she got done before we did, so she came in and sat in on our trainings. And we were given a scenario. 
Our trainer said, now we have a single mom, and she has three children, like five, three, and two. And she works a minimum wage job, and it takes all the money that she has to make a living. And she doesn't really have any money for daycare, so her aging aunt takes care of the children. It's nearing the end of the month, and rent will be due the end of this week. She also needs groceries, and the food stamps have now run out, and so she doesn't have... She, she needs to buy, buy some groceries for her children. But one of her children has been sick for several days, kind of lethargic, running a fever, and really needs to see a doctor. Now, what would you do? And she gave us several scenarios. You could leave the children with the aging aunt and let, them, let her just take care of them, and hopefully your child gets better. The last time you did that, your aunt got pneumonia and was in the hospital for two weeks. So you might lose your babysitter that you do have. You could get the neighbor girl to come over and watch him while you take your child to the, to the doctor, but then you'd have to pay the bill. Or you could take her to the free clinic, the, the welfare clinic, and, but that's slow and that would take all day, and then you'd lose the day off of work. Or you could just stay home with your children until your child gets better, and then you wouldn't have money to pay rent and you might get evicted. So which option would you choose? She said, these four options are posted on the wall. Please go stand by the option that you choose and tell me why you would choose that. None of them were any good. They were all bad. And different ones of us choose different options for different things, and, and uh, it, was, it was interesting, and it made a point. I did that first circle the other night to, to illustrate the challenges that our world faces. But on the way home afterwards, when we're driving home, Krista says, you know what, Daddy? She says, if that lady was a Christian and went to our church, she wouldn't have had those problems. There would have been someone to take care of the children. There would have been someone to help with the rent or to give them some groceries. The difference that Jesus would have made in that person's life, it would have not been a question. Jesus is the answer to a lot of problems, to most problems, to all problems. But if we do not have Jesus, we're a failure. Now, I said this the other day. Do you, do you really believe that you can have a wonderful, well-adjusted, successful family, but if they do not have Jesus, they're a failure? Do we believe that? It's true. You can have... It doesn't help if someone comes with marriage problems to fix their, their marriage, or if they come and they need a job to fix their job. You can do all those wonderful things. When you're all done, it's a failure unless they have Jesus Christ. We need to have Jesus Christ. He is the answer for the world today. So I have three groups of people that I would like to share that Jesus can help. And I was trying to figure out how I could put this all, what would be one example that would put all three of these groups of people into. And to turn to Luke chapter 15. The story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divideth, divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. 
And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat to be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard the music and dancing, and called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which was devoured, which hath devoured the living with harlots, <coughs> thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The first person that I would like to, the first, yeah, the first group that Jesus has the answer for is that Jesus has the answer for broken people. I suppose the prodigal has had his fair share of criticism, and in some ways, rightly so. He was rebellious. He was foolish. He was wasteful. Um, he, the prodigal, he's been the example for 2,000 years. We've used the example of the prodigal and his wickedness. Have you ever thought of the prodigal's needs with, with compassion? Have you ever looked at him that way? We're a little bit maybe like Job's friends this morning. We, we identify the problem. Sure, the prodigal has some problems and he needs to be fixed and we go to him and you know what the issue is. You need to repent and come home, right? Pretty simple. Did you ever think of him as a young man who was struggling and trying and finally just gave up and flat failed? He wasn't even trying. He just gave up and said, I've had enough of this and I'm out of here. You ever think of him from that perspective? Our world is full of struggling and trying and people who give up. It really is. Our youth group does boys and girls clubs. The girls started a few years ago and there was siblings that said, hey, you can have a boys club too. And so our youth boys have started a boys club. And this year they asked if I would come along and help. And I said, well, there's enough of you. You guys are mature enough. You can do it. Well, they want someone that at least shows up and looks old and can sit on people if he has to. And, and the girls get pretty noisy. And uh, it gets pretty noisy at girls' club. Boys' club can get a little violent. Uh, we have a 12-passenger van, and they take one driver and two staff to go pick up children. And the two staff in the back are busy keeping fights from erupting. Uh, this is, I mean, the first time they piled out, they got there, and, oh, there's three of them in there. And they said, well, that's necessary. Because they pick on each other, and they beat each other up, and they may know each other beforehand, and they just, you know, they have this word bullying they use. Well, we got some real bullies in our group there, and one of them is named Tony. 
And I keep telling Tony, now don't ruin our good name. I mean, we got let's we got something going here. Let's not ruin it. But Tony's 12 years old, and and his mom says, now don't live like me. You got to make something of your life. <coughs> well, Tony's been kicked out of school, the public school. I don't know where he's enrolled in school. And uh, so I'll be sitting talking with Tony, and some kid comes in. He's like, you know, I'm going to beat you up. I'm like, no, Tony, you're not going to beat him up. You know, come on, you got to leave him alone. And the kid walks out the door, and that quick, Tony's right out behind him. I mean, he's right on his tail. And I tear out the door, and about that time, one of the youth guys comes by and tackles Tony and says, come on, Tony, you can't do this. You know, be like spitting on kids and just just being mean. And uh, he's kind of ruining, ruining our good name, but anyhow. So we have a three strikes and you're out rule, and so that the second night we was there, he got three strikes, and he should have had probably several more. But uh, so he couldn't come the next time, and so the next time we had boys club, he wasn't there. And the, the following time, they said, "Could you go pick up Tony?" Now there's a reason they want me to go pick him up because he would be all by himself with me, and instead of in the van causing trouble, that's why I was supposed to pick up Tony. So I go over to pick him up, and I'm walking or driving through the bad section of International Falls. If there's a bad section, it's the dumpy section, you know. And I finally come to a a dumpier than usual house. It's worse than the neighboring houses, and it's kind of dark, and there's a few tracks through the snow, and I, well, is this the right house? Yeah, this is the right house, and you go to the door, and there's a big sign on the door, evicted by order of the sheriff. So I don't know where Tony is. So Tony's not with his mom, or he's with his mom, but they're somewhere else, and so I've, we're, when I get home, we'll try to track him down again if they don't do it before I get home. People who are struggling, people who are trying, Broken people. And Jesus is the answer for them. Jesus can make their lives better. If you've got Christian Aid calls, about a day or two after Christmas, there's another call. Hello, this is Christian Aid calling with a prayer alert. And I think this one was with name change. And Brent was on his way home for Christmas. And Brent was depressed. And he was going to, after he got home for Christmas, he was going to kill himself. And Brent cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, if you... Don't want me to kill myself, give me a sign. Well, what do you think he got? He got a really big sign on the billboard on the edge of the road. So he calls Christian Aid and they, they talked with him and he calls back a day or two later and he says, I'm a changed man. Jesus has changed me and I'm just a completely different person. And that is what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ is the answer for broken people. Jesus Christ, secondly, Jesus Christ is the answer for broken homes. This home where the prodigal son was was about as happy as Isaac and Jacob and Esau's home. It wasn't a very pretty picture between the two of them. There was a lot of bitterness towards the prodigal son. They didn't want to, the older brother didn't want to forgive and accept him when he came back. And there were lots of things that needed to be forgiven, rightly so. The prodigal had, had laid to waste his heritage on the way out the door, and he needed to be forgiven. But when you think about homes that have prodigals, you know, often when the prodigal comes home, it is harder for those at home than it is for the one who's returned. Because the one who's returned, he has come home, he has found the Lord, he's rejoicing in his newfound gladness in his heart, and the one at home, 
He's the one that has been there struggling and trying to pick up the pieces and help mom and dad. And now he comes home and he's all happy, but I need to share my room again and I need to share my stuff again. And, and he gets mom and dad's time again. And oftentimes it is very difficult for the families of the prodigals that return home. There is sowing and reaping. This is, this is understandable. But again, Jesus is the answer for the broken homes, for those who are left at home, for the, the brothers of the prodigals. And that whole home relationship, we don't know the blessings that we have with our Christian homes. And thirdly, Jesus is the answer for the brokenhearted. And the brokenhearted in this story, I'm going to relate to that of the father, you know, the father in this story is a picture of our heavenly father. That's, that's the picture here. But you know, as children of the king, and as heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we have all the resources of heaven at our fingertips. We have all the grace that we need to respond as the father did in this situation. That is, that is possible for all of us. And we see the father here, running and forgiving, and, and we rejoice with the Father in that. But the part of this picture that we do not see is the Father that is weeping and praying and spending sleepless nights wondering where his son is. And we know he did that because he was watching, or we're assuming he did that in his parable, because he was watching and saw him afar off. He was just waiting for him to come home. You know, And this... He didn't have a cell phone. They didn't have the, U, the U.S. Postal Service. He probably had no clue where his son was. He just knew he was missing. And he just wanted to come back. And Jesus has the answer for the brokenhearted parent as well. He has the answer for the prodigal. He has the answer for our family. And he has the answer for the parents. And so today... Whether you are blessed by your family, and I think we probably all are, we all have blessings, or whether you have struggles and you feel distanced from some of your families, and I think we probably all have people we can stick in that category as well. Jesus is our answer, our reason for gratefulness. He's the reason we have these good things. And he's also our reason for hope that some of these would return. And may God give you grace as you let Jesus into your life. Shine out to those around you. Know this world is full of hurting people that need to know Jesus Christ. And he's the answer.